Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Startup Soiree Podcast. This is your host, Patrick Greif. I hope all of you are out there doing very well, enjoying um, this massively wet May that we're having here in Baltimore, um, and maybe even more enjoying when that brain lets up for a second, um, like worshiping the sun communally with all the people in Baltimore who are also dying for a reprieve. Um, before we get into our interview, I just wanted to address something, and that is that I finally took the time to go and look at how many people listen to the Startup Soiree podcast, and I was shocked and surprised to find that we have come just a few subscribers away from a thousand regular listeners. Um, which literally has me more bowled over than I've ever been. I can't believe that this kind of small thing that we started creating 18 months ago has reached so many people and reaches so many people on a regular basis. So I'm elated. Um, I also want to get to a thousand. So you should tell your friends um, that in fact, this podcast is as great as you thought. And there are 997 other people that think the same way that you do. But also, I want to acknowledge that I have been asking to hear from more of you. And I just assumed the reason that I wasn't hearing from anyone was because there was only 10 or 12 people listening. But now that I know that there are a thousand of you out there listening, I'm going to get you know, like a little more direct with my requests. So there's so many people. Out of a thousand, there's got to be like 90 of you who, when I say this kind of stuff, think like, oh, I should do that. I've always wanted to tell him that I think he should ask this question or that, you know, he, he does have an incredible micro style voice or, you know, anything along those lines, or I think this Snapchat shit is creepy, any of that stuff. So now that you know how many of you are out there, I want to ask everyone again to send me a note, um, whether it's like on Snapchat or on Twitter or to my, uh, Gmail address, it's all Patrick Rife. P-A-T-R-I-C-K-R-I-F-E at Gmail, at Snapchat, on Instagram, etc. Send me a note. I expect to hear at minimum from 250 of you. Without further ado, we, um, we have a really cool conversation, a really great business, and, uh, and a friend of ours and someone who a lot of you have gotten um, familiar with over this year's live Startup Soiree events. We're going to be speaking with Carly Pipitone from 10th Harvest. Um, who is the the wine provider at all the Soiree events. So Carly, welcome to the Startup Soiree podcast. Thanks for having me. Really excited. Um, So off the jump, let's just heap a little praise on you. Thank you so much for investing in the live events this year. It's been, um, I think we talked about it. I I was sitting in my car out in the parking lot when we were on the phone kind of talking about it when I was saying how much our audience had responded well to like a little bit of education around the beer and the food and Dana Sicko uh, and how I thought that it would be a really good fit and I've gotten a ton of really great feedback from people that have really loved like its presence there so thanks you've really yeah, made it like much richer thank you I'm happy to be there you guys are definitely my target audience the, the people that attend startup soiree who want to support small businesses we're a small business based in Baltimore and we represent wineries from around the world who are small businesses. These are small family-owned people making wine that I support and appreciate you guys supporting. Do you know Ellen Frost by any chance Mm -hmm. from Local Color Flowers? I know the business, but I don't Um, think I know her. She's awesome. 
you should meet her at some point. I'll introduce you. She was a guest on the podcast as well. Um, your, your businesses have some like commonalities now that, now that you cool. mention it. So to start us off, mm-hmm. who are you? What is 10th Harvest? So 10th Harvest, we are a boutique importer and distributor of technically beer, wine, and spirits, but really just wine and spirits. Um, that means that we buy directly from producers. We buy from small farmers around the world and we sell to restaurants and retail stores. So we're a distributor, we're a wholesaler, we're a middleman, um, we are business to business. We don't sell to consumers. And what we like to do is be very direct about that and it's all about the people and the relationships for me. So we buy directly from a small farmer and we sell it directly to a restaurant so that when you're ordering a glass of wine at a bar, it's for us, it's only come through, we're the one connection, the one link from the vineyard to, that's our, our tagline, farm to glass. Awesome. Where's the idea come from? Um, for me, honestly, it was never about wine. It was always about travel and people and food and wine as a part of the whole thing. Um, and really a lot of my family. So Italy is like where it started for me and I come from a big, loud Italian family and um, had grandparents that came over, great grandparents that came over on a boat from Italy. And um, so I learned to speak Italian so that I could talk to my great grandmother. And then I went to Italy as much as I could. Um, I studied abroad in college, and then I taught English after college, and then I worked for a travel company. And all those times it was living there, I, I got out and traveled as much as I could. It was six months, two different times. And I visited wineries and traveled all around to the different regions of Italy. And the more that I traveled and learned and listened, the more inspired that I was by all these people and their stories. Like everybody in Italy makes wine. You could find wine in every little town. Not all of it is good, but when you find something that's really special, it's really inspiring to me. So I came here and worked in restaurants for a little while and learned a little bit more, but I'm not a sommelier and I'm not formally trained. I've traveled and visited vineyards all over Italy and France and Spain and the West Coast. Um, So I've met all these people and walked their land and tasted their wines, but I certainly have a great deal of respect for the real Somme community who are studying and taking those crazy exams. That's, Psalms. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love working with those people. I rely on those people. I find your business to be so fa- so fascinating. It's just, it's, it's just so rich, like yeah. in so many ways. Like it's rich in terms of um, like how it's transacting in like the modern world, like in the like mm-hmm. progressive business way. But it's rich in like, obviously like this story tradition of Italy. And then there's like, your personal relationship and then there's just like how rich your life is because it sounds pretty wonderful to get to travel and walk their land mm-hmm. um i just love it i love hearing you talk about it it sounds like a fascinating Thank you. thing so um man i want to go in so many spots how do i do it where do we start so like how did you get to a place of so so italy and california and now starting to be Washington State? So actually, the domestic side is Washington State and Oregon only. And that was a conscious choice to be the Pacific Northwest and not California. 
nothing against California, but we wanted to search for things that were undiscovered or under the radar. And or and Washington State has like 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 crazy opportunity. Yeah, right? it's and gonna so be does like Oregon. The new spot. Yeah. In, Exactly. Nine or 12 years. And it's a better value for a lot of reasons because California has been discovered. Everybody knows it. Everybody loves it. The real estate's expensive. So you can find better values and the same or better quality. What's coming out of Washington that's, that's like unique? So it's going to be like, right? It'll be, I, I, I listen, you know, we've, we've talked about Gary Vee before mm-hmm. and I've heard him occasionally like, like a wine question will float in and they're like, well, and he's just like, what? Like, it's just like, there's going to be one glass of like one thing that happens. What are those things? What are the likely contenders? Well, so Washington is crazy. It's what they grow there is usually Bordeaux grape varietals, which is Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon, um, Sauvignon Blanc. They, when you think of Washington state, you think of Seattle where it rains all the time and you go across the Cascade Mountains and it's the desert, it's the high desert, it's crazy. The rest of Eastern Washington, which is where all these wineries are, is like you're on the moon once you make that couple of hour drive. So it's a crazy place to go visit and it's huge, massive open spaces. Um, and we work with a lot of, there's, there's famous vineyard sites that we work with like Andrew Will and Mark Ryan who are both pretty big names and pretty cult status following. Um, and then we work with Airfield and Lone Birch, which is a family-owned winery that's 900 acres. Um, it's called Airfield because they, during World War II, the family leased the whole property to the United States Army Air Corps, which is now the Air Force. And it was a training facility for pilots. And there's still all the original like hangars and cool. towers. And now that's part of the winery. And they're a fourth-generation family farm. They've been, they've had cattle. They've had crops. They started growing grapes in the 50s. They've sold grapes for Welsh's grape juice. They've sold grapes to Chateau Saint-Michel, which is one of the biggest wineries. And now they, since the 90s, are making their own wines. And so that's that's an amazing story right there. That's what I get excited about. So tell me about how you realized that, um, I mean, I, I think you, I, I can intuit a little bit how you, like, got to the idea of, of heading to Italy and figuring out how to do it. But I'm more interested in like a, a very detailed like description of you brokering mm-hmm. some family that's making a wine in Italy that you and you've done this like a fair amount, right? Mm-hmm. So like what like what is that experience like? Because I think that it's so so much about like the relationship of it that yeah. So a lot of it is word of mouth. Like I can think of a guy, Roberto Perone in in Puglia, who I've had had met like through the years. And when I was starting this business, I went to Roberto and I was like, hey, who's making good wine? Like who are some really interesting people in Puglia that are looking for representation? And he gave me like five names and I go and I meet them and taste their wine. And now two of them are in our portfolio. So it's word of mouth and those introductions, which I do have from living there and from having family there, just meeting people. Um, or then sometimes it's a really like serendipitous thing. One of our, one of my favorite producers is Hermano Costa in Piedmont, so up in northwestern Italy, um, in the foots of, foothills of the Alps. This family, Hermano Costa, I was in a hotel in Monforte di Alba, I think, or La Mora, one of the towns in Barolo. 
Um, and they had this Roero Arnese, it's a white wine by the glass, and it was amazing, it was delicious. And I turned the bottle around to see some information about who produces it, who imports it, and there was nothing. And I Googled them, and there was nothing. So I looked them up and introduced myself and went and visited them, and we were the first ones to import their wines to the United States because they'd never sold their wines outside of their little region and their town. So so what is that conversation like? I mean, is it you're booking an appointment? Yeah, exactly. In advance, but yeah. like when you, is it like, are you, are you conceptually bringing something that is difficult for them to, to, to know, or is it just something that they realize is out there, but they just yeah, don't, they, they don't know how to like get access to that kind of relationship? Yeah. So it depends on what they're trying to do. Like if they're trying to get into the United States, they're probably doing their own research on their end, trying to find an importer and it's a saturated industry. So sometimes for the little small producers, it's hard to get the attention of a big importer. Or they're just really small and they haven't gotten to the point where they're looking for that yet. And then someone like me comes along and just finds them and asks them. And so I go and meet them and hear about their story, walk the vineyards, taste the wines. And I would reach out to them and just be like, hey, my name's Carly, I'm starting this company, we're looking for these kinds of wines and would you be willing to send us some samples or can I come visit the winery when I'm here? And then I go and meet them and, and taste and the challenge is finding something that is a great product and also a great price, obviously the magic combination. Um, that's something that's well made, the farming practices are good, the winemaking practices are good, it tastes good, um, and then the price is right. So. That's not always easy to find, but it was in this case of these people that I found in Piedmont. Oh, I'm never gonna get to all the questions. So when you're so so this family where mm-hmm. the, you're the first to do it, how much help do you have to provide in terms of um, creating that supply chain that happens between the two? And I think that maybe the double question in here is um, as an importer, like you're so you're whatever boutique importers or we could call it um is it difficult to do and why aren't more people doing it or is it kind of like a lucky spot that exists right now and you're kind of making it work or but like in terms of that supply chain of like having them be willing to but then what the fundamentals are to set up to get in place so they can handle it but also so it i definitely need to hold their hands a little bit for someone who like like these people who had never exported their product or sold to the United States. It was a lot of hand-holding and walking them through the process. And um, it's just a lot of paperwork and a lot of bureaucracy. To become an importer, it's not that complicated. You apply to the TTB, the um, Federal Bureaus, and get your importer license and wholesaler license. And you have to, before you can import a product, you have to register everything for approval in the United States. So that process can take weeks or months. It's time-consuming, but Um, it's not really that complicated so I have to decide what products I want to buy from them get them registered in the States place the order they pack it up on pallets I have to arrange a shipping company and so a trucking company to go pick it up from the winery get it to the port in Italy where it has to sit at the port for like three days to clear export customs and do all the export paperwork And then it gets on a boat and it takes like 21 days to get here. And then when it lands in America, it has to sit at the port there for three days or so to get cleared from customs. And you have to have all your customs paperwork 
exactly right. And then it gets delivered to my warehouse. So it's a lot of steps. Uh, I work with a company that does that, a logistics company that organizes all those carriers and pays all those customs fees and taxes for me. Um, it's, it's just, it's a, yeah, that part of it is a hassle for sure. Especially when you're trying to organize a container from Italy and I'm trying to pick up wine from four different producers all over the country, get them all to have their stuff ready at the same time and get everything picked up and delivered to the port and ready to go. And you have to really start planning that like two or three months in advance, wow. which is hard. When I realized that, and that was a challenge for me at the beginning, I wasn't sure what products were gonna be popular, what was gonna sell. So all of a sudden we're selling out of something and it's gonna be two more months before I can get more because of how long it's gonna to take to get everyone's shit together and get it on the boat and get it here and get it approved and. Yeah. Yeah, because you don't have any you don't have any numbers to predict how much you need yeah, at this, to develop. Now you now do, I do, but at the beginning, yeah, there were some out of stock situations that were not great. How old is the company now? Um, December of twenty thirteen was when we first started, so two and a half. Cool, going on three years. Virgin this year. three, yeah, awesome. So on the other side of that, now you're bringing new brands mm -hmm. into the U.S. market that have zero information about them and seemingly zero digital footprint about them as well. Yeah. So, and go. I'm yeah. curious about what you do in terms of telling the story, like from their point, is there a story to refer to? Do you make sure that that gets put up so that way you can say, look, I need to be able to, this needs to be legit. Yeah. Like, how do you introduce a brand? Like, I'm curious about how you bring new bottles to market. That is exactly what it is, is storytelling and, um, there are some other small importers who have said, really, what we are is a marketing company. You know, we find these products, we have to market them, we have to get people excited about them, tell their story. So yeah, that's that's exactly what we do. We try to tell that story by word of mouth and by social media, um, getting the producers to come here and do a wine dinner or an event where people can come and meet this winemaker and hear from them firsthand but it absolutely is growing their brand for them. So for me, it sometimes is like a little bit of a marketing or branding challenge because you almost, you don't need to know who 10th Harvest is. I would rather you know who these producers are. I want you to know the products and be able to go buy the products. But you know, 10th Harvest is its own separate thing. So sometimes it's a little confusing to understand what we are. We right. don't make the wine. Right. I want you to know who Lone Birches and Hermano Costa, so you can right. go buy their wines and right. look for it on the shelf. I have to tell their story. Right, which is why it's important that you are an agency. Yeah. Because it's not about, because all your, all, your, all your marketing gets done in, in biz dev. Yeah. Right, it's all just like side deals. Yeah. Yep. That's great though, at least, but, but understanding that is, is crucial, right? I mean, understanding that, you know, you're not the only company in the room that day trades most of the time on like, marketing I mean, yeah you look at what we've done with pixelated like we made photo booths not kitschy and weird you know yeah. what I mean we made them like plausible where people are literally saying like oh I see this at scale in the market and we're like awesome thanks yeah but that's like marketing you know I mean look at startups where right? mm -hmm. the same thing um, so I applaud you for that um, so in terms of like nuts and bolts mm -hmm. are you building out web pages for some of these products like what are you what are you doing like physically to to take these 
non-existent brands and provide you with enough like physical content and physical like place mm-hmm. to like refer to well some of them are better than others um for example manir salento is our biggest producer in southern italy they have amazing labels on their wines they have a graphic designer they have social media they're all over it they do a great job so i will take their content and put it out there right. but other people don't have that and so we have to build it and it's writing tasting notes and tasting sheets um, describing the wines, telling the story on paper. Um, we try to put up shelf talkers in retail stores, so the little card that is on the shelf in front of the bottle that has a 10th Harvest logo on it and the name of the wine and a little blurb about it, how it's made, who made it, what's special about it, and we try to make that eye-catching and capture our brand and tell the story because you're looking at a retail shelf with, you know, hundreds of products on it, how can ours stand out? Um, so yeah, it's it's those point of sale marketing pieces, doing as many events as we can, like a wine dinner, whether it's, I'm actually doing one this Wednesday, not with a winemaker, just me and my sales partner, Susan, and we'll be pouring a bunch of wines and sitting with guests and telling them the story of these wines. So it's, it's it's the storytelling for sure and whether it's online and social media or in person i don't know which is more effective yet but we're trying to do it all awesome so cool so how many um how many vineyards do you represent now about 30 uh 25 or 30 and that is a total of about 250 individual products or SKUs in the warehouse. So what happens as as the business changes? Like I'm, I'm you know, you're you're getting ready to hit that 36 month period where you really are starting to understand probably the bigger things that are working um, that you can probably you know put more energy behind. So is there is there a long term plan that's kind of coming into view for what what you intend to do? Yeah, um, so we're what we are strongest in is Italy and Oregon. So we want to grow in those categories, and you know we can be one of the best importers of small Italian producers, and we are already kind of one of the best ambassadors for Oregon, which always gets overlooked next to California. We just had a big Oregon seminar in the end of April. We had six really big name producers come and we had a seminar at the Four Seasons for a bunch of industry people, buyers and psalms. 30 of them came to meet these winemakers and um, did a consumer event as well. And it's, so we're, we're, we're creating this Oregon focus that is, we're making a name for ourselves. Like there are Oregon producers who approach us and are like, hey, you're doing a really good job with these other Oregon producers. I've heard such good things can you you know what do you think about our products Mm -hmm. um and the same thing with italy a little bit too so we want to grow in what we're good at right if we're good at those two things we're going to keep doing those two things we'll add other things potentially like you know it could be spain it could be portugal it could be a little bit more in france um and then there's also getting into other markets as well right now we sell in maryland and dc and looking at selling to distributors in other states so there's, 
a lot of different directions that we can go. And we definitely are at that turning point right now where we've got a lot of it figured out and we're figuring out what we're good at and deciding which one of those directions to go in. Or maybe it's all of them a little at a time. So what about, you know, what about as the distributor market disappears and it is all B2C? Is there, is there a plan uh, to consider how to go direct to consumer? Yeah. I mean, that's got to be like, you're, like whether you can focus on it directly or not, it's got to be the biggest like, shadow in the room, right? Yeah, I would love to be able to do that right now. Um, I don't want to be a retailer with a brick and mortar, but online sales to consumers? Right. Yeah, I, I would love to, and I, I have looked into that. There are... You know, the, the alcohol system is complicated. The law is different in every sure. state. So you can't ship to consumers in every state, but you sure can in some. Right. Um, and that is something that I'm thinking about. There are some companies out there that do that and do a really good job of it. I mean, there must be like, there must be membership clubs on the yeah. web, right? For like a wine of the month or like even like, and I'm sure it gets very, I mean, they must be like celebrity ones. Where yeah. Like if they're, it's, some Psalms have like, Right, communities and like you buy it at different levels and well it's like you can do a wine club with a winery like any vineyard or winemaker will have a wine club that you can join and you you know can buy their wines directly from the winery as much as you want right but that's a slightly different thing because they're a manufacturer that that manufacturer to consumer is a different law than for me as a distributor to consumer yeah sure but then there's still other people that that get around it um, and I'm I mean, to I would think the thing that would be interesting about, I mean, and ultimately, like that's just like that's just marketing too, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's just like yeah. getting people in so that way while they're in like re up in their monthly thing, they buy like twenty cases of yeah whatever they need for the next six months of great parties. But um, I would think that the thing that would be the most fascinating would be kind of like you telling the story of going yes. out and like hacking down the line yes. like I mean then all of a sudden it, it has like the potential and I, I mean this in like a good funny way not like in a make funny way but like do you remember did you ever watch Seinfeld mm-hmm. you know how like all the copy that Elaine like would have to write when she was writing the for catalog. Like, the catalog yeah. <laughs> yeah. but like but that's hilarious yeah. right like that's the same thing that's funny I've always joked about wanting to produce the uh, reproduce the weekend at Bernie's scene when they're in the pool and like the tar up on the roof and it's up on the roof I was like if we do that like that will go viral like it'll be super super funny and it'll be like produced by pixelated but in the same sense like that would be great right you can make a ton of like content around it like all of a sudden the marketing goes up and that's where you get to market Right. Harvest. That's like where its brand is. Its brand isn't necessarily presenting one wine so much as as it is presenting like it's a like, scaled, intimate right. Like it's a curated selection right. of of us bringing these things to you, and the platform of exactly how to do that is yeah. you know, what's up for consideration. Is it like an email newsletter? Is it social media posts? And you click the link to you know. Have you talked about building a piece of technology like a piece of software, I would think that yeah. that would be something that might be able to come in. What would be cool is even like, you know, being able to marry that with like your back, you know, mm-hmm. be like a sales portal. Well, we do actually have that. We do, we have online ordering for our business customers and we were 
the first ones in the state of Maryland as a distributor to do that when we started in 2013. Oh, at, cool. at, at that time, nobody was offering online ordering. Now there are a couple of other distributors that do. Um, and so we did have that. It was a custom platform built by SmartLogic. Guys at Yair, shout out to them. They did a great job. What's up, Flickr? Yep. And uh, so we have this software and we're trying to grow that, like to grow the awareness of that. But that's like an industry shift, getting people, the alcohol industry, it's like decades behind, getting people to move from picking up the phone and placing an order sure. to going online and placing an order. Sure. And yeah. especially when it's like, if, if there's, you know, there's a few of us that have online ordering, but if, if you're a buyer in a retail store ordering from 20 distributors and you're calling 17 of them, yeah. you're going to call all 20. You're yeah. not going to go online and order from... Right. And so plus, we, you don't know how that online experience is going to work on their dot matrix printer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I like... Uh, the last job I had before this was in art handling. So we're literally like driving around, you know, like the most expensive fucking shit you can imagine. But like the whole system that it all worked on, all the software that we used was all like this super antiquated and they still like use dot matrix, you know, like yeah. tearing off the sides and like tearing it. I, it was comical. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of that that yeah. exists still in the alcohol industry. I don't. No, for certain, but I would suspect. In I mean, a lot of industry. Yeah, where it's like tracking industry. your inventory in an Excel spreadsheet and that's oh, it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My goodness. That's the work. Um, this has been an awesome conversation. Thanks for um, yeah. being willing to let me dig into your business a little bit. So I have two questions that I want to close it out on, uh, and they're very similar. So uh, I'd love to know your favorite place in Italy. Mm-hmm. And, and then your favorite place in the world, since you like to travel a lot. They so. may be the same place. Oh, great. But maybe not. Um, favorite place in the wine, as it pertains to wine, um, Piedmont, which is that northwestern Italy community where um, Barolo, Barbaresco, Roero, those are the famous produ- like production areas, mm-hmm. and the grape that they're famous for is Nebbiolo. And those are wines that define the concept of terroir for me, like the, the concept that a wine reflects the specific place where it's from. Okay. And because I've spent a lot of time in that region, when I drink a glass of one of those wines, a, a really good one, it smells like the place for me. Like I've been drinking those wines and I'm like, yeah, I feel like I'm sitting on the patio at this place. And it, it just reminds me of it either because I have drank it so often in the place that I associate it. Right. Or I think it's something more than that. Right. It really just it, it really show. speaks to me of the place. It reminds me of the place. So um, yeah. The the Piedmont region, the Barolo zone, the Lange, the Barrero, um, is my favorite wine place in the world. There's also amazing food there. The food is amazing. You can go to small restaurants that have a handwritten menu and have the most amazing food and wine cellars that are amazing as well awesome. and truffles and just all kinds of amazing stuff um, but favorite place um, I went to Costa Rica a couple of years ago love that think that I could probably live somewhere quiet Central America or something. Where'd you go in Costa Rica? Uh, we were on the, west on the, or the Pacific east? side, Manuel Antonio, and up by the volcano. Um, I loved it there. 
because it was kind of unlike anywhere I'd ever been. But then I also would say Sicily, the island in southern Italy, that's where my dad's side of the family is from. And I have relatives that live in the town of Cefalù, which is east of Palermo on the Mediterranean. It's beautiful. And it's, it's an amazing place. And the fact that I have family there and a connection to it just makes it really, really special for me. So, I mean, it's Sicily is an amazing island. You have mountains and cliffs right along the ocean. You have the largest active volcano in Europe with Mount Etna. It's, it's, it's got like every geographical thing you can have. It, it's an island, it has mountains, it has volcanoes. It has desert kind of in the middle of the country, hills and countryside. It's, it's, it's a beautiful place. The, the awesome. food is delicious and there's people there that I love. So that's probably it. Right. I spent a week in Hako on the west coast of Costa Rica, mm-hmm. which was interesting. Yeah, I want to explore South America more. And I, I haven't even been to Asia, so there's a lot more traveling that I have so to do. So much to be done. Yeah. So much to be done. Okay, yeah. so... I want you to let everyone know, mm-hmm. um, one, who good people are to mm-hmm. reach out to you. Um, and then aside from that, where they can do it, where's a good place to follow along the 10th Harvest story mm-hmm. for the ones that are interested in the marketing that is centered around Carly's storytelling mm-hmm. through the brand. Um, yeah, that stuff. Yeah. So um, on Instagram and Facebook at 10th Harvest, all one word, Um we post pictures there all the time of, of different wineries and different events that we do. So follow us on social media. 10thharvest.com has a list of all of the stores and restaurants that carry our products and also a list of all of our products. Um, and so we, you can ask for them in, in any of those retail stores or restaurants. Ask the Psalms at Woodbury Kitchen and Wit and Wisdom and Chingale and the Wine Source and you know ask, ask all those guys um, for 10th Harvest products. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. That's the specificness yeah. that I wanted. Yeah. Um, so do you think you could do that again in Italian? Oh, a list of places? <laughs> well, I mean, just in case we have... So Nick was like, you should really go in for some Italian because Carly can really, like, she can do it. And I was like, well, okay, I'm not sure I'm going to do that. But, like, I mean, there's the chance that we have Italian listeners yeah. right now and that they've sat through all of this mm-hmm. English without hearing any of it. And now they're just going to, like... Uh, per comprare uh, i vini di Tent Harvest si può andare al nostro sito web e vedere i negozi che, che vendono i nostri vini e si può ancora imparare un po' di più sui vini su social media e Instagram e, e basta awesome Carly thank you so much this has been a great chat uh, I'm looking forward to the future for thanks you. for having me this was fun alright guys that's it um so go buy some 10th Harvest wines. I know all of you are eating at all of those restaurants that she just named um, literally all the time because I follow you guys on Instagram and I see you taking pictures there. So next time you're there, ask them about what 10th Harvest wines they have on the menu and drink those bottles, not wine, uh, glasses, bottles. Um, and then tell your friends, be like, this wine was incredible and it's got this great story and you get it. If you haven't yet hit the subscribe button, you could be number 1,000. Um, and if you think you're number 1,000, you hit the subscribe button, you send me an email or a snap or something like that, I will send you something awesome back. Um, 
So yeah, guys, whether it's iTunes or it's Stitcher Radio or it's SoundCloud, you can follow us and subscribe there. You can also get these on YouTube if you're hanging out at your cubicle trying to get some inspiration. Um, Aside from that, everybody keep kicking ass and taking care of one another. Peace.